This is the Howell Creek Radio address for Thursday, July 29th, 2010. I'm Joel Duick. Listen to this smattering of writing advice from the book No Plot, No Problem by Chris Beatty. He advises, quote, Pick out a character that's causing you no end of grief and do something reckless with them. Have them exiled out of the story or get swallowed by a wormhole while waiting for the bus. If you've hit a standstill in your efforts to bring two obviously perfect romantic leads together, kill one of them. Your readers won't see it coming. And in figuring out how to fix the mess you've just made of your story, you'll give the, your imagination the kind of fertile improvisational environment it needs to thrive. End quote. I would propose to you that what we have here in miniature is the problem of pain made simple. When we take up our pens to write our own stories, a godlike quality shows through. What so many people deride in God is cruel and unjust, his willingness to allow or even, dare I say it, to introduce suffering. They blithely and even jokingly accept as a best practice in the stories they write for their own fame and enjoyment. Here's another example in Janet Fitch's recent list of 10 rules for writers in the LA Times. Her 10th tip is, torture your protagonist. Quote, The writer is both a sadist and a masochist. We create people we love, and then we torture them. The more we love them, and the more cleverly we torture them along the lines of their greatest vulnerability and fear, the better the story. Sometimes we try to protect them from getting boo-boos that are too big. Don't. This is your protagonist, not your kid. End quote. When we write the story, we sit in the seat of God, and our intuitive understanding of God betrays itself too well. We will haunt and hunt our own creations to the limits of their lives and set lions on them to spur them running with fear the last mile to victory. Our stories would not be worth telling if we didn't. But not God. Surely not God. Here's a scene from the end of The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton. Then Sunday spoke, but so dreamily that he might have been continuing a conversation rather than beginning one. We will eat and drink later, he said. Let us remain together a little, we who have loved each other so sadly and have fought so long. I seem to remember only centuries of heroic war in which you were always heroes, Epic on epic, Iliad on Iliad, and you always brothers in arms. Whether it was recently, for time is nothing, or at the beginning of the world, I sent you out to war. 
I sat in the darkness, where there is not any created thing, and to you I was only a voice, commanding valor and an unnatural virtue. You heard the voice in the dark, and you never heard it again. The sun in heaven denied it, the earth and sky denied it, all human wisdom denied it. And when I met you in the daylight, I denied it myself. Syme stirred sharply in his seat, but otherwise there was silence, and the incomprehensible went on. But you were men. You did not forget your secret honor, though the whole cosmos turned an engine of torture to tear it out of you. I knew how near you were to hell. I know how you, Thursday, crossed swords with King Satan, and how you, Wednesday, named me in the hour without hope. There was complete silence in the starlit garden, and then the black-browed secretary, implacable, turned in his chair towards Sunday and said in a harsh voice, Who and what are you? I am the Sabbath, said the other without moving. I am the peace of God. The secretary started up and stood crushing his costly robe in his hand. I know what you mean, he cried, and it is exactly that that I cannot forgive you. I know you are contentment, optimism, what do they call the thing, an ultimate reconciliation. Well, I am not reconciled. If you were the man in the dark room, why were you also Sunday, an offense to the sunlight? If you were from the first our father and our friend, why were you also our greatest enemy? We wept, we fled in terror, the iron entered into our souls, and you are the peace of God. Oh, I can forgive God his anger, though it destroyed nations, but I cannot forgive him his peace. Sunday answered not a word, but very slowly he turned his face of stone upon Syme, as if asking a question. No, said Syme, I, I do not feel fierce like that. I am grateful to you, not only for wine and hospitality here, but for many a fine scamper and a free fight. But I should like to know. My soul and heart are as happy and quiet here as this old garden, but my reason is still crying out. I should like to know. Sunday looked at Raffcliffe, whose clear voice said, It seems so silly that you should have been on both sides and fought yourself. Bull said, I understand nothing, but I am happy. In fact, I am going to sleep. I am not happy, said the professor, with his head in his hands, because I do not understand. You let me stray a little too near to hell. And then Gogol said, with the absolute simplicity of a child, I wish I knew why I was hurt so much. Still Sunday said nothing, but only sat with his mighty chin upon his hand and gazed at the distance. Then at last he said, I have heard your complaints in order, and here, I think, comes another to complain, and we will hear him also. The falling fire in the great crescent threw a last long gleam like a bar of burning gold across the dim grass. Against this fiery band was outlined in utter black the advancing legs of a black-clad figure. He seemed to have a fine close suit with knee-breeches, such as that which was worn by the servants of the house, only that it was not blue, but of this absolute sable. He had, like the servants, a kind of sword by his side. It was only when he had come quite close to the crescent of the seven, and flung up his face to look at them, that Syme saw, with thunderstruck clearness, that the face was the broad, almost ape-like face of his old friend Gregory, with its rank red hair and its insulting smile. "'Gregory!' gasped Syme, half rising from his seat. "'Why, 
This is the real anarchist. Yes, said Gregory, with a great and dangerous restraint. I am the real anarchist. Now there was a day, murmured Bull, who seemed really to have fallen asleep, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. You are right, said Gregory, and gazed all round. I am a destroyer. I would destroy the world if I could. A sense of pathos far under the earth stirred up in Syme, and he spoke brokenly and without sequence. Oh, most unhappy man, he cried. Try to be happy. You have red hair like your sister. My red hair like red flames shall burn up the world, said Gregory. I thought I hated everything more than common men can hate anything, but I find that I do not hate everything so much as I hate you. I never hated you, said Syme very sadly. Then out of this unintelligible creature the last thunders broke. You, he cried, you never hated, because you never lived. I know what you are, all of you, from first to last. You are the people in power. You are the police, the great fat smiling men in blue and buttons. You are the law, and you have never been broken. But is there a free soul alive that does not long to break you only because you have never been broken? We in revolt talk all kinds of nonsense, doubtless about this crime or that crime of the government. It is all folly. The only crime of the government is that it governs. The unpardonable sin of the supreme power is that it is supreme. I do not curse you for being cruel. I do not curse you, though I might, for being kind. I curse you for being safe. You sit in your chairs of stone and have never come down from them. You are the seven angels of heaven and you have had no troubles. Oh, I could forgive you everything, you that rule all mankind, if I could feel for once that you had suffered for one hour a real agony such as I. Syme sprang to his feet, shaking from head to foot. I see everything, he cried, everything that there is. Why does each thing on the earth war against each other thing? Why does each small thing in the world have to fight against the world itself? Why does a fly have to fight the whole universe? Why does a dandelion have to fight the whole universe? For the same reason that I had to be alone in the dreadful council of the days, so that each thing that obeys law may have the glory and isolation of the anarchist, so that each man fighting for order may be as brave and as good as man as the dynamiter, so that the real lie of Satan may be flung back in the face of this blasphemer, so that by tears and torture we may earn the right to say to this man, you lie. No agonies can be too great to buy the right to say to this accuser, we also have suffered. It is not true that we have never been broken. We have been broken upon the wheel. It is not true that we have never descended from these thrones. We have descended into hell. We were complaining of unforgettable miseries even at the very moment when this man entered insolently to accuse us of happiness. I repel the slander. We have not been happy. I can answer for every one of the great guards of law whom he has accused, at least. He had turned his eyes so as to see suddenly the great face of Sunday which wore a strange smile. Have you, he cried in a dreadful voice, have you ever suffered? As he gazed, the great face grew to an awful size, grew larger than the colossal mask of a Memnon, which had made him scream as a child. It grew larger and larger, filling the whole sky. Then everything went black. Only in the blackness, before it entirely destroyed his brain, he seemed to hear a distant voice saying a commonplace text that he had heard somewhere. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? The End